cult classic action movies, shows, and the artists who helped make them. This is Action Gems. And welcome everyone to Action Gems, where we find them. And you watch them. And I'm Matt Kohler. And I'm Richie Watkins. And yes, we're going to do this thing where we go back and forth the entire time. Now. Oh, sorry. So, uh, this next episode is, well, this is a show that Richie and I really, really got into about six or seven years ago called The Following. Now, a lot of you might not know what The Following is because it was only on for three years and the first season was absolutely phenomenal. It's a show starring Kevin Bacon where he is after a guy who is a serial killer that bases off all of his killings of Edgar Allan Poe. And then, of course, he gets so popular, he gets a following. And then Kevin Bacon and his crew have to solve all the murders. Oh, yeah. It's the first season, every episode. It's pretty much gold because he's going after a different cult member. And we had the pleasure to talk with the stunt coordinator for this show. Yeah, we were really excited to talk to him, uh, Mr. Tim Gallon, because... There was a lot of things on there that were really interesting. One, just, you know, the insides of the show. There is nothing on this show online. If you look up the following, it is really hard to find behind-the-scenes stuff. Which is crazy, because it is one of those shows where, sure, maybe if you do talk to a lot of people, some of them may have not heard of it, but the ones who have seen it generally loved the show. And it is crazy that... I mean, it was relatively high profile having someone like Kevin Bacon in there. I think it had like 10 million people watching the first episode, just like, you know, throughout the entire thing. And this show only came on back in 2013. But then season two happened. Well, but, you know, that's a that's a, another story for a different time. So here's Tim Gallon talking to you about following mainly season one. Hey, Richie. Hey, how you doing? Very good. Thanks. Thanks for meeting with us tonight. No, uh, no worries. Now, where do you hail from? Oh, uh, we actually come from, originally from uh, Illinois, various parts. I'm from near St. Louis, and uh, Matt, who's joining us here in just a second, he's uh, from Galesburg, so more so central Illinois. Okay. Uh, but right now, uh, we live in Atlanta. We've been here going on three years. Yep. Oh, cool. How hey, you doing? How you doing? Good, Matt. Good to see you. Um, yeah, my my brother um, lives in Davenport, Iowa. Oh, so, so I'm familiar with some of those areas, and I I've worked in Chicago. So I think Davenport's like a like 45 minutes away from Galesburg. Okay, yeah, right down the river. Yeah, I've actually played uh, when I was playing football like in high school. We we had to go against a team from Davenport. Right. So, yeah, I, I, I tell you, I love it up there when I've gone to see my brother. And I had another brother. He passed away, but he used to live outside in Eldridge. And uh, I used to go there and, you know, it's just the people are really good people. And, you know, it's a it's a chill way of life. You know, it is very peaceful. I uh, I lived on a farm most of my life. And so going from this to Atlanta is a very, very <laughs> big difference. And yeah. I, 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 I miss it a lot just because, you know, I think there's just certain things that, you know, that life 
uh, gives you know the quietness, being able to see the stars, etc. That it's just like you know, once I came to the city, I'm like, gosh, like all these simple things that I took for granted, you know, I really miss now. Oh yeah, yeah. It's um, I, I was thinking of getting into farming in my later years and sort of permaculture stuff that I was getting involved with some people. And, uh, but I, I, I constantly think about, um, you know, coming from a New York city upbringing or mm -hmm. just outside of it, it's very hard to leave that energy. You know, it's kind of like wherever your energy started, it's that's where you kind of seem to migrate back to. <laughs> that, that makes, that makes sense because you, <laughs> I, I, I tell my fiance, I'm like, man, uh, you know, when we get the chance, I want to move somewhere, <laughs> somewhere <laughs> quiet. That's true. I get it. Do you live somewhere quiet now? Yeah, it's it's funny. Um, I grew up in New Rochelle, which is outside the Bronx. It's you know, if you're going outside of New York City, you're going north through the Bronx, and the next um, town or city is New Rochelle, uh, up the 95 corridor, and um, so growing up there, it was, you know, it, it was great. It, it was, uh, at, at that time, it wasn't as big a city as it is now. Mm -hmm. So a lot of kids, a lot of, you know, you just leave your house in the, you know, uh, Saturday morning and not come home until it was dark. So it was that type of place. Mm -hmm. And then I moved into the city and I lived in Manhattan. I lived in Long Island. I lived in Manhattan. And then um, while I was living in Manhattan, you know, we were on the 15th floor, so it was, we weren't close to the street, mm -hmm. but you would feel the street that the car, that, you know, constantly 24 hours, there's cabs honking, there's, you know, so there's fights going on, there's, you know, whatever noise. And um, when we first moved to this town, which is now 30, I think 33 years ago, um, I couldn't sleep for the first two weeks. Because it was so quiet, <laughs> you, you had you had the opposite effect. Yeah, what I had. Right. So it was uh, it's very interesting. But now it's uh, uh, the only thing that bothers me is the trains late at night. I think these guys get pissed that they have to work nights, so they, you know, hit the horn really hard when they're coming to the crossings. <laughs> well, you would not enjoy my hometown because uh, you're on the tracks. <laughs> oh, the entire city is it's the the most trains cross that city in the entire United States. Okay. So, we have one of the biggest train yards and uh, I guess a little random fact that uh it was one of the key points in World War II that uh, you know, Germany wanted to take out. Oh, okay, logistic wise, yeah. So, um, yes, there's a lot of trains. Even if I live 10 miles outside the city and I can still hear the trains. Wow. Yeah. Well, there's, there's nothing to block it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is true. <laughs> so I guess Atlanta has, uh, drawn you because of the industry there. Yes. Um, yeah. both of us, uh, you know, we came down because as filmmakers, it was a lot easier to, meet and connect with people than the St. Louis area or sure and so far it's uh you know been pretty successful you know uh I moved down and within three or four months you know I I got engaged or I got I you know I I, I started dating and then got right. but uh other than that I mean like we met a lot of great people down here and uh yeah yeah 
No, it's um, now. Are you you guys writers and looking to create content or? Yeah, so so I am a filmmaker. Richie is a composer. Oh, okay. Great. So um, I so the, the main things I do is I usually direct and uh, kind of. I guess even in the pre, I guess in, you know, in the indie world, you know, you, you do a little bit of everything. Sure. But uh, mo mostly directing, and then okay. um, and then you know, and then cinematography. And composing and acting and co-producing. Sure. Yeah. Just <laughs> it's uh, figuring it out. It's a uh, very easy to uh, you just start listing off all the things that you do, just because w when you're a very small, uh, very small operation. Um, when you're a very small operation, it's very easy uh, to say how many different hats that you wear from time to time. Oh yeah. Well, when my daughter, who she's an actress, and you know she would be depressed about not doing enough and not getting jobs, goes, I said, sit, sit down, do a do a resume. You know, put down all the different things you've been doing, other you know, working towards the work and things of that nature. And you realize you're, you are doing a lot. It's just, it's a process. So that's a very good point. I mean, it's, it is one of those things like when you're, when you're actually in the moment of, of doing something, you're like, man, you know, we put a lot of work into this thing and, you know, this is coming out to what, like, you know, three to five minutes, but then we realize, oh, we've actually put out a few of these or we we're about to put out a few of these. And yeah. it's uh definitely a snowball effect yeah one thing builds on the other um i, I don't know if you looked looked me up or, or whatever but i've mm -hmm. i have produced a couple of uh films one was a 2.4 million dollar independent film uh it, it took us 25 days to shoot in new york city it was all locations couldn't afford any studio space mm -hmm. so um that was a really, you know, good, a good experience for me because, um, you know, doing that and then, you know, for, and again, it takes years, you're going to meeting after meeting after meeting, and you have to go to those meetings to realize, all right, I, I'm not going to do business with this person, so I got to <laughs> another road and get another bunch of meetings over here, and, um, but what you, um, uh, but that's what it takes uh, to finally meet the, the, the right uh, group and um, it, you know it's the money you know it's the the money that you have to find and uh, um, a guy that was trying to raise us money told me a, a a good parable he said beware the antelope and he said you know and all the lions are lying around in the sun and they're all chill and they're hanging out and then and then all of a sudden an antelope walks in and they all start going crazy well the antelope is the money and he used to always tell me, beware the antelope, because that's when everything changes. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, um, and, and it's funny, I, I, I got two that I got produced, mm -hmm. and then I continued on and more in the stunt world and acting world. And I think back now, I go, you know, I go, man, I, I really wanted to be a producer. And now I say to myself, why? Because <laughs> 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 you know, it's really... It's tough. It's a tough, you know, I think the only thing tougher than producing is writing. Um, yeah. Whether it's music of, or. There's a lot of criticism uh, or critiquing towards writers. I feel like they're always the unsung hero. They're the ones that create the thing usually, but no one knows who they, 
who they are. Right. Um, but uh, so so you were producing at first, and then you moved to stunts afterwards. No, what happened was um, I grew up, like I said, in New Rochelle. Um, my my family was in the construction industry, so we still have a family industry, a, a construction company that's 130, 134 years old now. Wow! So it was my great grandfather, and now my daughter is like fifth generation working in that uh, field. So. So when I got out of college um, and I, during college, I decided I wanted to be a stunt performer. Um, I left for California, went out there um, and was told politely, uh, come back in five years when you're in the union, you have some experience, kid. So I did, I came back to New York and uh, I was, I was blessed because there was a, um, uh, a high school teacher that I had who was almost also my football coach and uh, unbeknownst to me he had gone to Vietnam and fought in the Vietnam War as a recon marine came back on the GI Bill ended up at NYU film school and who does he have as his best friend at college but Martin Scorsese so <laughs> so he and Scorsese start to do student films and um, you know, do uh, this, that, and the other thing. And when they got out of college um, and Scorsese went looking for the money for Mean Streets, mm. Vic became a high school teacher at my high school. And th the first day I met him, I was on a fire drill line. I was a freshman and, you know, full of piss and vinegar and some kid bumped into me. So I shoved the kid like, get out of my way. And the next thing I know, I'm getting flipped and I'm on the ground and Vic is over me going, you do that again, I'll kill you. <laughs> And he was this five by five, just, you know, just would smack you back in the seventies, you know, corporal punishment was okay, you know? Yeah. And uh, so when I left high school, I never wanted to see Vic again. You know, he, he used to beat the crap out of me. Mm -hmm. And uh, so in 76, I was in college and I'm watching Taxi Driver and oh, there's Vic on the big screen as one of the Senator Palantine's Secret Service guys. Oh, yeah. Oh, wow. And Marty had put him in the movie and sort of, you know, gave him a place to become one of the main stunt coordinators in New York City at that time. So uh, I, I said, oh, shit, I'm going to have to call him now. So I... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> when I came back, when I was in California trying to break in and realizing... I called him and he said, well, I got nothing now, but if you're back east, let me know. And I came back east and called him and he was doing a movie called The Wanderers. And I got into uh, the union. I, you know, I went down to Central Park, helped him with the actors, teaching him how to play football. And then he, after like a week or two, he said, uh, you want to get, uh, you want to get in the union? I said, yeah. He goes, all right, um, I'll make you one of the gang members. And uh, that was how it started. That is that's pretty really, wild. That's yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, I was I was I was very lucky, very blessed. So then that so that was during the seventies, and then I guess going into the eighties, you had a lot of momentum. Yeah, in the seventy eight, I went in. So um, so I worked uh, primarily in the eighties. I didn't I didn't have as much work as I had in the nineties. Um, be, just because New York City wasn't as busy. 
Um, mm -hmm. We had about 30, 35 stunt people, whether they were uh, men and women. Actually, I was just thinking um, one of the stunt women we had back in those days was Debbie Watkins, who was, uh, oh. and she was, she was a really good stunt woman. Uh, no really relation. Good. I guess not. Yeah. I, I know. <laughs> and uh, yeah, she was, um, she, you know, there, there weren't a lot of people, you know, there was, you know, she was the one of the blondes, you know, and, and but they'd wig them or whatever. And, uh, but she was a very good woman until uh, she did this movie called the first wives club. And there was a stunt gag where uh, they dropped a, um, a, a a window washers rig on the side of a building and all three women were in it Goldie Hawn and Bette Midler and uh, I forget who the third woman was but mm -hmm. Debbie was uh, doubling one of the girls and when the thing came and um, it stopped it was supposed to stop you know close to the you know close to the ground but what happened is they didn't figure in the the stretching so it, it kind of stretched a little bit and caught the ground and so there was an impact uh -huh. And she was in heels, so her, her ankle broke. Oh. And it was broken like three places. So it was, uh, she tried to go for a while after that in, in the industry, but eventually she, you know, left. But so it's a, it's a tough business. You know, you never know. Uh, um, actually, the guy, Vic, that I told you about that uh, brought me into the business, my high school, uh, he was... He was killed on a movie called uh, The Squeeze with uh, Michael Keaton and um, Meatloaf was the bad guy in that one. He was the uh, the bad guy and Ray Dawn Chong was in it. That was a, that was in 80, it came out in 87, I think. I think that happened in 86. I'm sorry to hear that about him. Well, yeah, you know, it, I, I mean, it was, uh, that's, that's sort of the um, always... You know, when we have people go, oh, I could do that, or I could do that. I said, you know, you got to remember, it, it, it does, it does get uh, hairy at times. <laughs> you you have to be a certain type of, you have to like taking risk, yes, in order to enjoy it, because otherwise, I, I, it is sad that people do say that they can do it. It's like it's a lot harder than what you think. Not only do you have to have the physical requirements to do these but you also have the mental requirement yeah which is i think harder because you know i still to this day cannot do a backflip and that's just because like i don't it's be, it's not because I, I i just don't like flipping backwards <laughs> <laughs> no it, and it's become psychological physically i'm sure you could do it with training or whatever but it, 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 the, the mind and the body got to be 100 percent together on it yeah that's that's the truth yeah. Yeah. So, so, so what? So this is a podcast. Yeah. So, so um, the podcast really takes uh, a lot of people, you know, behind the scenes or people that you know, uh, or actors that are prominent with you know martial arts or action, and we mm -hmm. take a little bit different uh, approach to you know, uh, just action movies in general. We want to because. You know, we think a lot of the people that are unsung are the stuntmen, the behind-the-scenes people, and we just right. hear their stories. Oh, cool! Yeah, it's, it's I and I, I'm, I'm not. I didn't write this book. I'm, I'm, I'm just. But I, I just started reading this book. Can you see it? Um, 
We do not actually see you now that you. Oh, oh, you just see the Terry Gowan thing. Yeah. Oh, you go right. by Terry or Tim, by the way. What's that? You go by Terry or, or Tim? Because well, it depends. When I'm when I'm dressing as as my wife, I go as Terry. Gotcha. But, but when I dress as a man, I go as Tim. <laughs> <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> no, my wife's my wife is um, is Terry Teresa, so they call her Terry. I'm, oh, there I am. Oh, hey, there we go. I, I, I'm sorry. I saw that. I didn't, I'm still, I'm still, uh, you know, learning. It's all good. Oh, wow. Nice. I don't know if you guys have ever seen Highlander, if you oh, like I that kind that of. Movie. Oh, you do? Yeah. And I forgot this guy, he called me in 17 and interviewed me. And then I'm in the book. So I just got it in the mail. <laughs> I was like, oh. But I'm going to call, you know, I'm going to email him back. He's from uh, UK. And uh, I'm going to tell him it's required reading for any art, you know, any uh, uh, school of cinema. Because he goes into all, uh, he interviewed everybody in the crew, uh, all their, you know, memories of making the film. He has some pictures in there. It's really a, a, a cool book. And um, uh, so, yeah, I mean, I don't know if, if, you're, if you dig Highlander, um, he might be a cool guy to talk to one day, you know, let him yeah, talk his be... book on your podcast. I appreciate you bringing that up. Thank you. Yeah. It actually hadn't really crossed our minds. No, uh, I, even though, uh, if I remember right, I think from Highlander, like all like Christopher Lambert and, oh my gosh, I can't think of his name. Yeah. Oh, Clancy Brown. Yeah. Thank you. Didn't they have to like actually train, you know, in the sword fights? Oh yeah, they had a sword master, um, and they, you know, they interview him in the book. And uh, Vic Armstrong was the second unit director, and Vic comes from this the Armstrong family, the brothers, uh, Vic and uh, Andy. Actually, Andy was on this one, not Vic. Vic was um, he was you know Indiana Jones's stunt double, and he was um, you know he James Bond, and you know he's you know he's you know one of these um, larger than life guys in our industry, and they um, I think you know talking to Vic, I, I think they spent some of their childhood in Africa, and so they you know they were in the outdoors driving when they were really young and uh, riding horses and everything, and he was he was really good with horses, and kind of came into the business I think that direction similar to what um, Hal Needham did. When he when he broke into the uh, industry, um, uh, but you know it's uh, and and Terry Leonard. Some of these these are some of the bigger names and and stunts over the over the history of it. And um, so both uh, Vic and Andy and you know and, and the other names I mentioned. These were guys that kind of were, worked in the '60s and '70s mm -hmm. and, and were trying things without the safety equipment that we have today. <laughs> and they were sort of the first guys that, you know, you know, like th they got their asses kicked figuring out how to do it even safer so that right. it became safe enough where actors could do it, where they're, you know, harnessed on wires and, and they can get it dialed in for them and all that kind of stuff. So um, it's, you know, it's, it's interesting to watch the progression of how action has gone um, where it was, very loose and very brutal almost to now where it's it's computerized to a you know a, a, a 16th of an of, of an inch 
Yeah, um, I have a lot of buddies who worked on like the the Marvel movies, uh, yeah. mainly like Black Panther, Avengers. Yep, and they were very bummed out, you know, because it's like, well, we did all this work, and a lot of it wasn't shown, or it was CG'd, and you yeah. know, I I'm obsessed with actually seeing the the artists on screen because you know I'm, I'm obsessed with jackie chan bruce lee all the martial artists okay and like cool. they, they 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 do it all and so i grew up that's that that's sure. our that's our cat hey i my we got a dog daisy so cats are cool though my daughter has has cats and uh, so yeah we well this cat's very loud he's like a dog <laughs> he has he has a lot of opinions don't you cool <laughs> so what did you think of um once upon a time in america with how with how jackie was portrayed I, I i did not see it i've seen i've seen the fight scene um with uh with bruce lee and uh i was not a huge fan <laughs> of that <laughs> um i think mainly because like even in the, even his fighting it didn't make any sense because there's a part where like he starts off a fight doing a flying sidekick i'm like all right. Any good martial artist would know <laughs> never to start a fight that way. <laughs> well, I'll tell you a couple of stories. One is uh, I doubled Tarantino once, um, a, a little Nicky with uh, Adam Sandler film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he was the blind, the blind preacher when he you know, <laughs> smells evil. Yeah. So, so Tarantino, you know, at at that time too, he was in the news as being you know, not a nice person, you know, there was about the cops and they were mad at him. And there was a whole bunch of uh, negative press going on about him. I never heard of this part. Yeah. It, this was a, at a, uh, if you ever speak to him, he, he would be well aware of it because he was defending himself about all kinds of things. And uh, uh, so I meet him, you know, I go there and I brought my, my, I have twin daughters who are now 31, but they were 10 at the time. Mm -hmm. And it was the first time I was bringing them to set. And um, so, I, you know, I'm there and they wanted to meet Adam Sandler. And it was so funny because they had watched all the Sandler's films and Sandler used all, used all his buddies from from college. And, uh, you know, these all these dudes have like stepped in a big pile because of Adam. And so <laughs> I didn't know any of these guys, but my kids like I'm in the makeup trailer with this guy, Peter Dante. And yeah. Dante supposedly been in everything. <laughs> so my, my daughter's going, yeah, is that Peter Dante? I go, yeah. <laughs> he goes, wow. I go, you want to meet him? I go, oh, yeah. You know, they were like, they were tripping just meeting Peter Dante. You know, it was like, so Tarantino, and they did, really didn't know who Tarantino was, but Tarantino was so nice to them, took pictures with them. And, uh, and I said to myself, I go, this is bullshit. You know, this guy is a great guy. And I, and I could tell he, he's like a guy that goes on set and it's like being a kid in a candy store. You know, he's the happiest when he's on set doing what he loves. You know, that's just, yeah. and I, I guess other times when he has to do all the, the Hollywood bullshit, you know, he's he's just not up for all of it, you know, so. He doesn't come across like a person who, who wants to deal with it. Right, yeah, so, but, you know, um, what were we talking about other than about Tarantino? We were, oh, oh once upon a, so once upon a time, I had friends of mine who were, uh, Bruce Lee freaks, you know, and uh, and they were pissed. They were really pissed at Tarantino and this, that, and the other thing. And then I, I and I don't want to ruin it for you, 
but it's once upon a time in, in, in Hollywood. So, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's Tarantino's imagination. It's mm-hmm. not necessarily the reality of what, uh, so when you see it, uh, we'll talk and you can, <laughs> okay. and you see if what I'm uh, making sense to you is, uh, you know, I think that the, uh, the, uh, the Bruce Lee people don't have to be as, uh, as upset as they are. Well, uh, that actually makes me feel better because I mean, like it made, it just, I think it, because it made no sense because I was like, wait a second, this guy clearly loves martial art movies. I mean, look oh, yeah, look at homage, Bill Bill, of course. Like, I mean, he literally had his main character in those movies wear the Bruce Lee jumpsuit. So, yeah, right. That was just very mind boggling. I was like, yeah. and he's going to Japan and the, the Harry Hansu uh, sword and the whole, I mean, you know, he gets deep, you know, in the whole, in the whole uh, culture. He, uh, well, he's also known for alternate history movies. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> With, uh, 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 gosh, Unglorious Bastards. That right. one. And then Django Unchained. To, Django, yeah. To some level. <laughs> yeah. Well, he's, you know, that's his homage to uh, Oliver Stone. <laughs> <laughs> the, the king of them. <laughs> right, right. <sighs> I'm thinking of the last Oliver Stone movie I might have seen. I mean, oh, it was what you recall was. Um, oh no, Scorsese did um, a Leonardo DiCaprio. What was the one with the Wall Street? Oh, Wolf of Wall, Wall Street. Street. Wall Street. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was Scorsese. That wasn't Stone. Stone did. Uh, he did. He did Platoon. <laughs> Platoon. Oh, he did the other Wall Street one. Um, oh, um, oh, I think Michael Douglas. Yeah, Michael Douglas with Wall Street. Gordon. Yeah, Gordon Gecko. Is it just called Wall Street? I think yeah. And then he did the sequel, Wall Street Money Never Sleeps, and that had Money, right. right, right, right. I didn't. I never saw Money Never Sleeps. I don't think. I haven't yeah. seen either. I just yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, the original Wall Street is a is a is a good movie to get a feel for that time. Mm-hmm. Like it, it, it kind of captures the, you know the at least the vibe in that in that area of town or uh i'd say our version of that like in if, if you're talking about the fast moving uh corporate mindset of the 80s yes uh for me and matt i'd say our favorite for that is robocop oh yeah well that from an action standpoint absolutely oh yeah, yeah. most definitely uh well, uh, speaking of stunts, one of the craziest things is at the end of the movie, there's like an explosion that goes off, and like all the main bad guys are right beside it, and they all got like stunt pay that day because the, like w- one of them actually got burnt by it. And it's just- oh yeah, yeah. You know your your best friend on set is the special effects coordinator <laughs> because you know and you want to make sure that he's competent and you know there's certain like the nice thing about working in new york primarily is every time i walked on set it was either you know um uh, al griswold or um connie brink or now it's connie brink jr and jeff brink and other guys like uh, stevie kershoff they're just um you know, uh, you, you were always uh, felt safer with them around and you knew and they would even like walk you through, 
and show you which way the mortar is blowing and, and all that type of stuff. On some of these bigger things, a lot of times, like um, I did, you know, ladder 49 mm -hmm. and they had a big, you know, fire at the end. And, you know, there was like, I think 45 guys in the building, like manning all these, um, you know, fire uh, stations where, you know, they have, uh, you know, diesel gasoline being burned. <laughs> you know, it, was, it, it, it looks incredible and it's, you know, but uh, it takes a lot of manpower. So you, uh, you know, you, you better know what you're doing. I mean, I was up on an aerial ladder about 75 feet in the air and you could feel this flame. <laughs> it's like, it's like very intense. So that was, that's letter 49. Was that the John Travolta movie? Yes. Um, Okay. Joaquin Phoenix. Yep. And he, he was the kind of the new guy and, you know, the whole hazing and kind of, uh, and then they got into personal lives uh, also, but. Of course. Yeah, it was, uh, it was fun. It was, we, we shot it down in Baltimore. So you, most of your work was primarily in the Northeast. Yeah. East coast court. I'd say, you know, from Washington to Boston, primarily New York city. I worked in Chicago, Pittsburgh. Uh, I worked down in Texas once, down in El Paso. Um, it, when I first tried to break into the business in '78, I was I did some I did background work and I got uh, like a low budget stunt job <laughs> on a it was like a, a B Star Wars movie. And uh, was it a Roger Corman movie by chance? I I don't I, I think Corman produced it. Was it Battle Beyond the Stars? Yes, that's the one. What, how did you know that? Uh, the only reason I knew that because I'm a huge Terminator fan and uh, James Cameron, so that that was he that was that was his first job as an art director. Yeah, so Cameron was on. Um, I think Richard. Um, uh, there, there was an old time actor on it that was great. Um, yeah, there's some there's some funny stuff, and we we shot like in this warehouse in, in Santa Monica. You know, it was like this. It was. You know, and, the, and you go in and the walls were all like made to look like this, you know, planet. Mm -hmm. <laughs> we were actually in a, in a warehouse in Santa Monica. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's amazing. <laughs> so it was, it was, it was really a uh, beautifully done B movie, you know, uh, you know, Ed, on the Ed Wood scale, you know what I mean? Of course. So did that come out? after terminator no that was like a year after star wars oh wow <laughs> yeah okay yeah. so it was a movie that ripped star wars off not terminator oh yeah it was yeah, yeah. I, i'm sorry uh yesterday richie and i put on a movie called future kick which was a yep. roger corbin producer. okay yeah and it's a very big ripoff of terminator oh it's great yeah that's the beauty of those guys corbin and um but they you know they they had their own style, you know. It, it's you know, and uh, yeah, it, it pretty well ran through. I guess the end of the twentieth century and even into the two thousands. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, Roger Corman is pretty well credited with giving a lot of those people, like, well, I think even Scorsese a shot and yeah. helping them break in the business. So that's that's cool that you got to work on something of his. Yeah, yeah, and the movie that you caught with <laughs> <laughs> that's good he's he's he does his he does his homework yeah that, that you can thank fourth grade me for that <laughs> <laughs> but uh okay so then just going through the 80s and 90s generally when you're working in the northeast you saw a, a 
you saw an industry that was gradually going more and toward, more and more towards, thankfully, a a much safer zone for for stunt. Well, relatively safer zone for for stunt. Oh, I, yeah, absolutely. I you know it's. Um, I think it was. I think it was just uh, people were trying new things, trying bigger things. So it was sort of a um, you know just learning how to do it. You know, I, I could, you know, I, I, there's pictures of guys doing like falls off of like roofs and they're landing on like a, a mattress from a bed, you know, where today now they have these, you know, mini airbags that you can come and blow up really quick. And you could do a fall off a roof, say, of 20 feet into the, this mini thing. And it's so much more comfortable than hitting a, you know, a, a mattress or, or even a porta pit or something like that. You know, it's, uh, so it's progressed, um, absolutely. Uh, so, um, and you know, as it should. I mean, you you want to you want to protect people because um, you know there's a lot of times uh, the actors want to you know, like Tom Cruise is one of them who wants to put himself in the in the middle of the shot as much as possible. So yeah. there are people who you know have to have to rig him and have to make sure he's safe when he's a thousand feet in the air or whatever so a lot of pressure on those people oh yeah i i, I it's just like i i'm i'm always shocked with the mission possible movies especially the last one where it's just like he must have put a lot of money into this movie in order for everyone just to say okay because that is like that's insane right you know, just what he's doing and like the the risk he's taking yeah but, but that's you know that's who you know that's part of his persona so you know he's going to continue to feed it i'd say the most uh probably the most uh heart-stopping one for me is when in the fourth one when he's climbing on the on the building and yeah thousands of feet in the air he yeah. one-upped himself from the mountain <laughs> <laughs> and a, a friend of mine that i started with in the business was the guy hanging him off that building <laughs> oh. oh wow yeah so it's you know you better know what you're doing <laughs> so then i guess i guess going into the following now i mean yeah that, even given your experience i'm sure just given the nature of that show and just i mean just with it being the like the hour-long program that it was it was probably a different experience even for for someone that it was seasoned for you at that time even well i'll tell you interestingly enough um, my career has been I, I i like to consider myself a stunt performer um I, I you know i i i like to act i like to you know i'm not afraid of dialogue but i ended up primarily being a physical performer a stunt performer um but i treated it as a performance i you know one of the uh, one one time i had to hang off of a building upside down like 23 stories and but these guys are having dialogue and so I was down upside down trying to you know do the dialogue with the actor that was acting and you know the guy I was doubling was standing there feeding them the lines so I would say them in my to myself under my breath and the stunt coordinator afterwards said you know when they pulled me up he said he goes he goes, that was nice. He goes, it looked like you were actually talking to him, you know, on camera. And, you know, and that's, you know, rather than just being like a dead body there and there's, they're supposed to be given dialogue. 
those are the little nuances to keep it seamless, you know? And, and uh, so that was a big compliment to me from him because I didn't tell him about it. He just picked up on it. And um, wow. so, uh, but with the following, <clears throat> and when I say that, primarily I really hadn't had a lot of experience as a stunt coordinator up to that point. I was, uh, I, I mostly liked, I preferred to do um, performing and doubling people. So when I, um, so in, a, in 2010, I finally had my knee replaced. Um, I needed a full replacement. It was just the pain was just too much. And at that point, I'm saying to myself, well, I'm not going to be able to fall down stairs or get, do anything, you know, dramatically big. So I, I started considering doing more acting and I start, I made an acting reel and I, I, I was almost going to go in that direction during 2011. And then in early 2012, Facebook came online and I have three daughters, you know, I told you the twins and, and my younger one, one of my twins said, dad, you got to go on Facebook. And I was like, I'm not going on Facebook. I don't care about that stuff. You know, I, was, you know, I, I really, you know, I'm not part of the electronic age, you know, I'm old school. So she was, yeah, but you'll be able to keep in touch with us when we go to college. And, you know, I go, I go, all right, well, that, that's a good reason. So I went on Facebook. And then what I realized was there was a lot of people from my industry on Facebook. And I was like, and I was like, ah, there's a lot of, you know, this is interesting. And there was a first AD in the, in the first movie I did the wanders. I played, you know, that Vic got me on, um, the gang I was in was called the Ford and Baldy. So I had to shave my head. And, um, so there was a first AD who worked in town who remembered that movie and knew that I worked in it. And, uh, there, uh, and, and another guy, Danny Aiello the third, who, uh, was a, uh, you know, my, my best friend and business partner. And we were Ford and Baldy. So this guy Wex would always see us on set and go, Hey, nobody fucks with the Baldies. <laughs> Cause that was, a, <laughs> that was a line from the movie. <laughs> and so, um, so Wex was on Facebook and he commented, um, going to Atlanta for a pilot. So I, you know, I, I was just new to fight Facebook and I'm kidding around. I, I used to just do stupid quips and I go, Baldies love Atlanta. <laughs> You know, so, so he calls me 45 minutes later and I go, hey, hey, Wex, how you doing? He goes, hey, they're looking for a uh, New York stunt coordinator. You want me to throw your name in the hat? I said, yeah, okay. So, you know, and then <laughs> I got a call. And then, so, so I get a call, I get a call from the um, production manager and she says, hey, we got your name. Do you want to send us a resume? Or send us a reel. They wanted a reel. Like, okay. So I had just made my actors reel because, as I told you, I was going to start going out as an actor. <laughs> so, I, you know, they're expecting to see a stunt coordinator's reel of all these car crashes I had coordinated and stuff like that. <laughs> so I sent them an actor's reel. <laughs> and the guy, one of the guys that I was competing against, you know, fortunately, he wasn't available. So they had to give me the job. <laughs> 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 he called me. He goes, hey, listen, 
He goes, do yourself a favor. Don't ever send another acting reel in for a stunt coordinator's job. Because <laughs> he had even heard shit from up high down, you know, about what I had done. So, and it was, uh, so anyway, I get the job and it's the following. I know nothing about it, you know. <laughs> I fly down to Atlanta and I start to read the script and I go, oh, you know, and I had to go out and, you know, um, they weren't, they weren't going to fly people down from New York. So I had to go around and get to know the stunt people in, in Atlanta. And I went to a training session and <clears throat> it was, you know, there, there was a couple of guys who were former uh, stunt coordinators that I hired. And there was another stunt coordinator actually doing the Vampire Diaries. And he sort of guided me. Uh, to the right people. And uh, so that's, it's, it's all about collaboration. It's all mm -hmm. about relationships. It's all about, you know, uh, you know, and, and that's as you go further on and you meet different people and, <clears throat> you know, you'll lean on them, they'll lean on you. And that's what it all comes down to. So, um, so yeah, all of a sudden you know, I'm doing the following this, this pilot and I'm, and I, uh, it, it was just the first, the pilot and then we got it and and we we went on for the first season and i really learned a lot because being a performer i hadn't really interacted with all the different branches of of, of movie making you know the props department and the you know a lot of that time when you're a performer all that stuff is already taken care of for you but as a coordinator you have to make sure everybody's on the same page as with what's going on who's this that you know if you're getting the the stunt performer to do it you know you gotta make sure wardrobe, hair and makeup, whether they have tattoos, you know, there's just a thousand things you have to think about mm -hmm. and make sure everybody's on the same page. So that was my learning process the first year on the show. And it was, um, uh, it was, you know, it was, it was fascinating and it was, um, and it was hectic, man. I mean, uh, they went, uh, you know, the, some of the um, conditions that we worked in, you know, I, I had to do a fight scene one night uh, where I had to have one girl throw another girl through a, a window and then down. Well, you, you guys saw the series, right? Yep. Oh, yeah. So you remember at the end when they're at the, the mountain resort and uh, Claire and, um, uh, uh, you know, the babysitter. I'm, I'm oh, Emma. Yep. Emma. So Emma and Claire have their big uh, fight at the end and 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 Claire throws Emma out the window down yeah. to the ground below and then they she goes down thinking she's dead and then they start fighting again that was eight degrees <laughs> that was eight degrees and then that doesn't that doesn't count the, the wind chill factor was below zero so we had to like you know go through a window out into the cold airbag you know people out there then we had to choreograph a whole fight out on the uh, on the uh the cold ground and so those are the you know those are some of the things that people are getting into this business don't realize that <laughs> this is, you're, you're you're gonna have to buy into that as well <laughs> uh -huh. so so what was a normal day for you like for season one like coordinating just kind of go through a day in the life of stunt coordinating for for the, for the show yeah so like you know if well the, the, the well the, it was Kevin Williamson was the the writer creator and 
he was considered the showrunner, although he he primarily stayed in Los Angeles. And Marco Siega was the New York, um, you know, showrunner, we'll call him. Um, and Marcos, he directed uh, most of them. And he, he kind of was the decision maker, uh, you know, with, you know, Kevin, consulting with Kevin and all. <clears throat> and of course, as you know, uh, television is more of a writer's market, you know, where feature film is a director's market. And, um, you know, the directors have the control in feature film. On TV, it's the writers. And, you know, they have a say, they're involved, they're producers. So it's, um, that was another learning curve for me is, you know, you, you're on set and, you know, the hierarchy, writers are, their hierarchy is up there, you know, especially when you have guest directors coming in. And, you know, the guest directors many times were, overly um uh you know um wanted to state of the word you know not changing words or anything like that out of deference to the writers yeah uh, and it, you know which is cool and it was interesting to see you know watch as it was going on firsthand but um i think marcos if if he had his brothers he would have had more rehearsal time more uh because you know he he understood the the um the advantages of it the actors mostly like it some don't but the majority i think do mm -hmm. i i like it you know as a as a stunt coordinator when you're chore choreographing stuff it's just um uh, there is something when you are rushed there has been times when it it does happen naturally and that's kind of cool um whereas and you run into the danger that sometimes if you're choreographing too much by the time you shoot it it looks staged <laughs> you know so oh, yeah so there is trying to find that balance and um you know it, it and it, it it you know what you guys saw living in oblivion right uh, steve buscemi no no oh, you oh god you know you guys all right that's it you get it now you went down to a b <laughs> well, we were watching Big Daddy the other night, which had Steve Buscemi in three. I, I, I was I was in Big Daddy, you know. What? Uh, you were, yeah. I, yeah. I, I worked. I was I was uh, water safety when uh, he water bladed into the Harlem Mirror. So I was in a I was in a in the Harlem Mirror in case uh, you know there there was a drowning. <laughs> And I was I, I was down there when they were I don't know if I worked that day or if I was just down on set, but when they were down at McDonald's doing Bashemi <laughs> stuff. Um, but yeah, uh, no Bashemi Bashemi plays a director of this independent film, and any independent filmmaker has to see Living in Oblivion. You just have to see it. So I'm not going to tell you anything. That's your assignment, and you have to go. <laughs> oh, no, no. Well, we, we both love Steve Buscemi, so. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, and Tony, you know, Tony Guida, who you were going to talk to, yeah. him and Buscemi are, are very friendly with one another. So he, he's, because I think Tony doubled him on uh, uh, Boardwalk. Oh, uh, wow. Boardwalk That's Empire. really awesome. Yeah. So I got I got to double Dabney Coleman. I don't know if you know who Dabney Coleman is, but uh, he, was, no. he he played like the uh, you know Michael um, who was the Michael um, who was the kid who was like the hothead. 
Oh, in in Boardwalk. Boardwalk, yeah. Yes, I know exactly. I know who you're talking about. He's the one that is uh, is trying to take uh, Steve Buscemi's uh, place. Prison. And right. Then, yeah. But Buscemi's not his son, or no, it's it's he's... not his son. Uh, so, uh, the character you're talking about is related to the Commodore or the Commissioner, like the ones he used to be mayor of the city, right? Or and now. He was the old guy with the redhead with Gretchen yeah, Wall. Yes, yes, that's yes. that's who I that's that's Dabney Coleman. That's who okay. I go with. Because I had to, I had to be in bed being fed soup from Gretchen Mall. So it was I said, I love my job, man. <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah. She had to slap my face or something. So was... now, now I'll be like, hey, I talked to the guy who got fed soup. <laughs> <laughs> They'll be like, what? Right. <laughs> That's amazing that there's someone specifically being fed soup. Oh, yeah. Well, it was more about the, the back shot. You know, yeah. you know, when, you know, Dabney took the soup in the front and I just was getting, you know, mime soup before I got the slap in the face. You know? were, were you tired of, were you tired of soup? <laughs> no, no. I, fortunately, it was mime, so it never made it. <laughs> The camera's behind, you know, I made sure I was stacked. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, I guess, random question about that scene in Borok Empire. Was it real soup that he was fed? Oh, yeah, I'm sure. Well, or, you know, whatever, probably choices from craft services or whatever yeah, they wanted, right. you know. <laughs> yeah. After the third take, you know, can we change it up to different foods? Oh, yeah. Yeah, some of those things are... Uh, can get nasty <laughs> hot wings right yeah yeah <laughs> something that no one wants to be in the room <laughs> <laughs> but but getting back to your question about what is a typical day and um pretty much you know days are are slated um you know you, you you're, you're gonna get your 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 nine day schedule i think we shot we shot a nine day schedule so you know, we would get our um, our sheets telling us what scenes on what day based on the, the ADs and and all, whether we're in the studio or at, at location. And we I'd already gone on a on a scout on a a tech scout. Um, sometimes I went out on director scout. That was only if it was something really big. But I'd go out on a tech scout. So you kind of were in. You're already in the physical space. You already have an idea of what the day is going to be like, so um, so you prepare your day accordingly, and <clears throat> you make sure you have everything, you know, in place. Sometimes a day before, just to make sure in case any uh, there's any kind of glitches. Uh, I was a freak where I I live in northern New Jersey, and the studio was in Brooklyn at Steiner Studios. And, you know, if I had a nine o'clock call, I would leave at five o'clock in the morning. You know, <laughs> I would get there in 45 minutes, pull into the park a lot. I had a, a whole setup to sleep in my car, you know, because because <laughs> I was not going to be late, you know. Mm -hmm. that's, that's so I, was always, I was always early. And uh, so it got tiring when there were like 14 hour days or 16 hour days. And then you're and if you had to be back the next day, you know, you'd run home just to get a little sleep. And then Gosh. back on the road again. So wow. it was, it was, it was, it was grueling. It was. Uh, I'm glad I did it, but I definitely uh, 
uh, saw what my my <laughs> limits were. Yeah. So, man, twelve to fourteen hour days. So, on average, like, how many pages were you guys going through each day? Um, it varied. I, I'm trying to think. Uh, yeah, pages. Um, I don't know. A big day would be six pages. You know, that's pretty but, good. Yeah. yeah. That would, you know, and, and again, it depended. It depended on what's on the page. Mm-hmm. If if it was if it was really heavy dialogue between um, uh, James and Kevin, uh, you know, when they were doing their Joe Carroll and Ryan stuff, um, you know, they Marco spent time on that. You know, he, you know, he, we might spend a day on three pages or two pages I of them. <laughs> yeah, you know, they were they were, uh, um, you know, they. Uh, and, and it was it was cool to watch. You know, it was cool to watch. It was always cool to watch Kevin and and James is a great actor. You know, he's like a real um, European. You know, he did you know whatever. What was that? Rome. He was in Rome. Oh, he was in. Uh, yeah, yeah, he was in Rome. Right. Like the HBO show. Yep. And so he's like, he he's a real pisser. Like he he's kind of. Uh, he acts like he doesn't give a shit, but he does give a shit. You know, he's, you know, he, you know, he's serious about it and he, but he digs it, you know, him and Kevin were, were playing tennis back and forth. And, you know, so they, uh, so it was, it was fun to watch when I could, when I had to watch it and be involved. Wait, when you were forced to watch? <laughs> well, no, it's, it's like, I, I remember, uh, I, I did this movie, um, with, um, uh, what the hell was it? Uh, so it happens when you get old. Uh, I, I was working with Richard Gere uh, in The Hoax. And uh, The Hoax was a, a true story about this guy. He was a, um, he, he, uh, he claimed to have the manuscript for Harold, Howard, Howard Hughes, you know, and, and Howard Hughes at that time. And I, I guess you know, do you know the Howard Hughes story? Uh, he was the shut-in uh, billionaire. Yeah, correct. Well, he was part of Hearst, um, the Hearst of um, Empire, which was the San Francisco Chronicle, and there's Hearst Castle, and there's and and that was uh, uh, the whole Rosebud thing, uh, oh, with, okay. you know, uh, which is you know some consider the greatest movie ever made with. Uh, um, you know, at, at the end of they say Rosebud, uh, which is you know, Orson Welles's, um, what the hell's the name of that movie? Uh, Citizen Kane. Citizen Kane. That's yeah. so. That's you know all about Howard Hughes and 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 uh, where his empire came from, and then he became a shut-in. He was you know he he was a he was big into aviation. Hence, Scorsese's The Aviator. Yep. And um, Leonardo DiCaprio played him. So um, uh, there was a guy in New York who went to, uh, I think it was McGraw Hill, and he told them that he had an exclusive, he had access to Howard Hughes for his, his memoirs, and they gave him like a million dollars up front <laughs> to, go get, to go write it, and it was all a, a spoof, you know, it was all like a bullshit a con game. And they did a, and Lassa Hostrom was the director, Richard Gere, um, and so there was a scene where we we actually went down to uh, Puerto Rico and we shot this scene in this pool at the El San Juan, and then we did the other in Queens at the at Silver Cup Studios, where uh, we're doing the interiors. 
And there was an actor, and I, I, I'm trying to think, I don't know if it's Bruce McVitie or uh, a different guy. This guy did a bunch of uh, Law and Orders. But him and Gear have this, um, have this whole uh, scene together. And I had to stand there because we end up grabbing Gear and, and throwing him off the balcony of this uh, hotel. Mm -hmm. And uh, so, you, you know, you, you have to watch the scene, you know, you're, you're part yeah. of the scene and you're, and you're watching it. And it's just, um, uh, it's very cool because you see how the actors work, how they go over and they, you know, make themselves a drink or they, you know, they do some kind of business and it, 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 it you know, you see their minds work and how, how they're going from place to place. So, um, you know, it's, it's, it's a wonderful uh, masterclass <laughs> really is to see how they work. That's really awesome. So um, what um, I guess kind of going off of just you talking about how this was kind of your first big stunt coordinating uh, role or job. What, yeah. what was like the hardest day or like the hardest thing for you uh, doing the fir first season? Well, it was, I, I, I think uh, primarily it was um, uh, the, the safety of the actors. You know, you're, you are, um, and, and again, that's why I, I don't do as much coordinating anymore because frankly, the risk reward ratio is not, <laughs> it's not good enough for me because, because, you know, you're, you know, you have a guy like Kevin Bacon who, who knows what they're paying him, who knows how important it is, but you're responsible for his safety and his, uh, you know, and, 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 Kevin, I love to death. He's, he's a great guy. Uh, uh, he, he's really, um, you know, I can't say enough about him with, uh, he, he, it's all right. It's, you know, his work ethic and, and everything else, but he's a kind of guy that he, he goes for it. You know, he really goes for it. So I'll tell you a little story. And when we were doing uh, in the following, and you remember when, uh, I, I, I forget if this is the end of, it's probably the end of season two um, and Kevin's in his apartment and Joe's gotten into his head and he, uh, he starts dreaming that he's Joe Carroll. Oh yeah. And he kind of wakes up and Joe's in his bedroom and they start uh, fighting. And so he's, he's fighting himself almost or Joe Carroll, you know, like, and uh, uh, so they and they, and then the ice pick came out and I think he stabs himself to mm -hmm. death, you know, as Joe Carroll would have, so we had to, I had to do the scene with Kevin and Tony um, where they're both, uh, you know, two Ryans on the bed fighting each other. Uh, I think one had a Joe Carroll mask on or he reveals that he's, um, he's actually Ryan. And so we had a retractable ice pick and, and I, I was able to, you know, and, and originally Kevin wanted to do it, you know, bare chested. So I got him to say, hey, can you at least leave like the, the shirt buttoned so I can fit a pad on you because he's going to be jabbing you, you know, with this ice pick. So, you know, action, they go and, you know, Kevin just goes for it, you know, and he's, and what happens is uh, the pad shifted and, and, you know, Tony's hitting him and Kevin doesn't care. He's taking Tony's, you know, Tony's like backing off and he's taking his hand and like, you know, <laughs> you know, come on, man, you know, let's, you know, and, and they made it look great. But 
afterwards, you know, Kevin's standing at the, the monitor yeah. and he's, he's like showing off the marks that were made on his, his, his uh, stomach. And I'm like, oh man, I'm sorry. He goes, that's not your fault, dude. You know, he goes, the shifted and, you know, he told me what happened. I said, yeah, but I, you know, so anyway, somebody takes a picture of the, uh, of the stomach and sends it up to the executive producer. <laughs> Uh-oh. And he comes down and he sides up next to me. He goes, you like working here? Oh, God. <laughs> so that shows you, uh, you know, how much pressure it is to protect, you know, especially number one, let alone number two, three, four, or five on the yeah. street. You know, yeah. everybody is, you know, equal under my eyes from a safety perspective. But from their perspective, you better protect, uh, you know, their asset. Mm-hmm. So um, was this your, I saw that you worked on Gotham. Did you do stunt? Or did you coordinate that as well? No, that was coordinated by Norman Douglas. And okay. uh, Norman's a, a buddy of mine. Great, great stunt guy. Um, he, Norman used to, um, he, he would double everybody back in the day when there were, weren't a lot of stunt people around because he was the perfect uh, 5'11", you know, slender, uh, great head of hair. It could be, you know, made any way. And, and he was just a very, he's just an excellent stunt guy. Um, one of his big stunts was uh, for Letterman. He he dove off the ninth floor about 90 feet on fire down into 53rd Holy Street. Cow. So that shows you his level. He did it on Letterman, you said? Yeah, it was one of David Letterman's, you know, I think his last season or second to last season, yeah. Pretty hardcore episode. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, I didn't know I didn't know late night talk shows went to that extreme. Oh yeah. I, I I doubled Letterman for I doubled Letterman for about six months. And one with Norman was driving a limo and Letterman gets dropped off and I fall out of the limo in the beginning of the show. And you know, he played it as his leg was hurting. And then at the end, he said goodnight to everybody. And Norman drove down the street, and I and Letterman leaves the studio, and then I leave the other doors. And I jumped onto the limo and pulled myself into the sunroof on the top, as, and that was his exit. <laughs> <laughs> That's all. So, so, um, so was the following the last time you stunt coordinated? No, no, I've. Uh, I've stood that the last I, I did this the following and then Marcos did a show called Time After Time, uh, uh, which was a you know H.G. Wells mm -hmm. uh, fantasy, and that ended in I think January of seventeen, and the only thing I and then I I would cover coordinate I would you know you know other stunt coordinators were too busy. And then I'd, I'd go in and cover them on shows like Law and Order or, um, you know, um, Mr. Robot or. Oh, yeah. I started know, watching that show. Yeah, it's, it's, it's an interesting show. And um, but I, I did do Doctor Strange, uh, the New York uh, portion of that. I was I, I uh, well, you know, I was the main coordinators were California guys, um, Jeff Haverstadt and. Uh, Jim Churchman, and uh, they hired me. So I was I was their wrangler. I would get New York uh, people for them for the the New York sequences. Um, 
it was primarily the opening of, of Doctor Strange with the uh, accident where he got, you know, I don't, you yeah. got, yeah, you saw Doctor Strange, right? Yeah. So, you know, it's, um, and, you know, now I'm, I'm kind of, uh, you know, just waiting to see what happens. <laughs> so are you going to try to go into acting or? I, you know, I really don't know what I'm going to do. I'm, uh, I may start a podcast. I like what you guys are doing. You know? Hey, <laughs> you know? it's a lot of fun. Just hang out, <laughs> hang out, talk to people. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's been the popular thing to do this year. I've seen no, you know, I mean, you know, just, just the people from Zoom are very happy because their their thing is blown up. Uh, oh, yeah. 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 yeah, it kind of makes me wonder if Skype is going even more so to the wayside now that, yeah, like anytime I, anytime I want to get together with someone for this or just a job yeah, interview, yeah, uh, it's, it's always Zoom. The last time I used Skype was when my, my daughter was at, uh, at school in New Zealand. And, uh, you know, she did a, a semester over there. So we used to talk on Skype all the time. Yeah. Yeah, I stopped using Skype a while ago, unless, right. like, the random scenario. Yeah. Yeah, in, in the random scenario where the person's not set up for Zoom. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yeah, it was, uh, that was uh, pretty well defined uh, our, our college and post-college days because uh, we used to live, like, three and a half hours apart and uh that'd be interesting because uh living out living out in the country the internet's not the best for matt the wi-fi has never been great they're still trying to figure this out in the middle of nowhere Where, where'd you guys go to college uh we went to webster university webster okay um it's in the st louis area yeah yeah so i have heard of it i okay. yeah Oh, Daniel Webster, right? I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. We, I've, I've heard of that school. We get that a lot, <laughs> right? Yeah, it's not, it's not Harvard, but you know, it's, it's, you know, it's accredited. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, a, it's all a matter of the faculty you have. It's really not That's, the name. I think you hit the nail on the head there. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I mean, it's a combination of that and also after college kind of meeting the right people to actually learn from mm -hmm. is, you know, going to, you know, going to film school, there's, they taught us more on how to get a job and not how to do the job. And I noticed that's a lot of like places, you know, you know, col uh, colleges and it's like, well, that's great. But like, you know, post-college, I've learned so much more on just the filmmaking process and mm -hmm. maybe it's just because of those because we don't teach arts really in elementary on to high school it's literally colleges like elementary school for filmmaker for artists it's like these are these are the things to you know make sure you actually understand what this is and what that is oh yeah well I, you know i you know like when i was you know with highlander you know looking back and thinking about it and, you know, now reading about it and just realizing how um, completely clueless I was, you know, on set, you know, what they were trying to do, what they were trying to accomplish, you know, because the director was actually, he was sort of the king of um, music videos. Uh, and he was getting his first opportunity to direct a feature film. Mm -hmm. And so he was bringing all these elements of music videos into a feature film. So he, he was kind of starting a whole new genre 
of you know of the way of doing kind of a film in that way and uh so so it's kind of cool of being a part of it even though i had no clue that i was being a part of of something like that you know you're just when you're younger you're just clueless you got to you know learn as as you go along because um you know no one is there's no training for a job where like i said you're going to go out and work 14 to 16 hours in a day and you know, 10 degree weather and, and you're still loving it at the end of the day. You know? <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, you, you have to. There, right. the, I mean, Absolutely. For an interesting final exam. Right. Yeah. Just go outside for a week and 10 degree. All right. If you come back still <laughs> liking this, you're good to go. If you manage to shoot something coherent, you're, you graduated. Absolutely. <laughs> Uh, I think one of the worst days for me of filming was uh, it was my senior overview and like every other day it would be like snowing. And so the continuity was just dreadful because you'd go outside and be snowing and the next day it wouldn't. It's like, well, I, this is what we're going to have to do because sure. you know, it's my final film. But, you know, <laughs> yeah. Um, that didn't stop you from uh, throwing yourself into that hundred-year-old tree, though, did it? No, but that's what you have to do when you're on an indie. <laughs> well, you'll learn better ways to do that, believe me. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, we, we went to my former uh, high school band teacher's <laughs> house. So, you know, looking back on high school band, when I started, you know, playing drums in there, I never <laughs> thought, you know... This guy seems like he'd be the, the good person to host a set where my friend hurls himself into a tree. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, going back to what you were saying about about with uh, with with your high school teacher that later became your your friend and colleague. It, it's it's interesting how life will take those turns when Absolutely. you start pursuing your career. Yeah, you have you know, and you have like full circle moments. Um, yeah, that are that are that are just great. So. Um, were there, so, no, uh, so uh, I guess any, so I guess any other things that you'd like to say about either working on the following or just working as, a, you know, as a, oh, you know, it was just a, it was a wonderful experience. Um, you know, Kevin Williamson's a great guy. You know, got to meet him and uh, uh, chat with him. Uh, you know, he he was told me he was very influenced by you know Hitchcock, um, and you know some of the other greats. Um, well, I, I, I'm trying to think, um, but, you know, he's, he's just a guy that's, uh, blessed with, you know, being, a, a good writer, um, you know, and a diverse writer. I mean, from Dawson's Creek to Scream to the following, you know, it's kind of, uh, he, he's, he's a, he's an interesting cat. And then Marcos was just, um, I learned a lot from Marcos. He's, he's, uh, you know, he's a good leader, you know, gets kind of everybody, uh, the crew and, and the cast kind of with this, um, you know, let's, let's do this mentality. And, and it was, it was a really, uh, a fun collaboration. You know, a lot of the people I'm still, uh, friends with to this day. Uh, but you know, it's, it's a weird business where you, you know, you're, you feel close to somebody and then you don't see him for 10 years <laughs> and then you're on another production. Hey, you know, it's like, like old home week with some people, but that's the, the, the wackiness of the, uh, the industry. 
of course. Yeah. Yeah. We, uh, we, well, we, we became pretty big fans of the following actually in, in college. Yeah. Right. That's, that's about the time when it was, uh, when it was actually airing. Yeah. I, I think, I think I started watching when season two started airing, it was like yeah. January and I watched off season one. I'm like, man, this is an amazing show. And, you know, I watched, were you, were you bummed that it didn't continue? Um, yes. Uh, in, in one way, I was kind of like when we did the, and that, that was another scary time hanging, baking off that bridge. You know, that was an actual bridge at a dam. And we actually had him hanging over rapids that if he fell, it was too shallow. He would have hit rocks. It would have been good. So I was, that was a scary night for myself. And, uh, and it's funny, I was talking to Kevin about it. And I go, uh, so I go, was that uh, one of your scarier uh, things you had to do in your career? He goes, he goes, nah, he goes, nothing really compares to the uh, Apollo 13 when he had to go up in the vomit comet <laughs> and how they shot the stuff in the capsule mm-hmm. is there's a thing called the vomit comet and the, the plane goes up to, I don't know if it's 50,000 or 30,000 feet and then it turns and it does a complete dive. Woo! So you get weightlessness. So you can go straight down uh, for a couple, a minute or two before they have to pull out of it. So what they do is they set up the cameras and everything and they go up and then they do this dive towards earth and you're floating and you have to do the scene and then it comes out of it. So they would, you know, they were doing, I don't know, a couple of hundred of these dives over the course of it. So, you know, it's like saying, you know, like controlled airplane crashes, you know, that that's a, a kind of an anxiety way of doing your, but he said, you know, Kevin Bacon's going, he's doing like, yeah, yeah. He goes, uh, Ron Howard called me in and he goes, Hey Kevin, Hey Kevin, you want, you want to do a movie with me? And he goes, I had no idea what I was getting myself into. <laughs> Holy cow, that's insane. Yeah. So, so Kevin was, um, you know, like, so he's, uh, you know, will pretty much do um, anything that you ask of him. He's, uh, he's, you know, just a, a total pro. And you just listened to Tim Gallen tell you all about what it was like working on the Kevin Bacon show the following. Yeah, you know, it was a lot of fun talking to him. And we will uh, talk to him again because he had so many other stories, obviously, besides just working on the following in fact most of our conversation was not even about the following is about just his other works as a stuntman and it's a very different you know talking to stuntmen than actor or stuntmen or women than actors or directors because they don't really get much highlight and that's been a thing going on in the industry how pushing the oscars and pu- pushing the industry to actually care about them because they are one of the biggest parts of obviously action movies and without them those movies would not be made you could just ask jackie chan or bruce lee or jet lee any of you know my icons you know those amazing martial artists they could not beat up people if they did not have stunt people so let us know in the comments what was your favorite story from tim what was the biggest thing that you learned from the interview and tune in next week where we watch another crappy show. Next week oh, is yeah. Red 
Wait, is it Red Ranger Forever? I think it's called Red Ranger Forever. It's a team where all the Red Rangers at the time team up. Richie's never seen this episode, so... Uh, Red Ranger reunion, baby! Yeah, so, uh, you know, Richie's gonna have a lot of fun having no idea what's happening. It's gonna be great. Even though I only know what, like, one of the Red Rangers looks like, so... Alright, name three of the Power Rangers shows right now. So, oh, Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. Besides Mighty Morphin. Um, Power Rangers Turbo, Power Rangers Space. In Space. Power Rangers, the, the, uh. Anyway, that's the episode. I'm Matt Kohler. And I'm Richie Watkins. This is Action Gems. See ya.